The ministry also says it has expressed concerns to the World Trade Organization over China's tightening of regulations on food imports. Starting January 1st, companies that export 14 kinds of food products to China will have to register with local authorities. Though the new regulations affect importers from around the world, Taiwanese traders say they are concerned tighter controls may be on the horizon. The footage carries a chiron on the bottom reading 10 years of ECFA. The video claims that starting January 1st, Taiwan's preferential trade agreement with China will end, meaning a return of tariffs. The Ministry of Economic Affairs says the claims are false and that the video is misinformation. Meanwhile, traders in Taiwan are more concerned about China's new requirements for food imports, which will enter effect on January 1st. All firms involved in exporting 14 different kinds of food products to China will have to register with the Chinese government. The rules are not just for Taiwan, it's the whole world. If you don't register, you won't be allowed to export food products to China. Every country will have to follow these rules. Some countries are trying to work through the many details of the requirements. As for us, since the first moment, we expressed our concerns to the WTO. Back in April, China announced the regulations on the registration and administration of overseas producers of imported food, which will take effect on January 1st. The decree will require all exporters and producers to register with Chinese authorities for the exportation of 14 kinds of food items to the country, including sausage casings, egg products and cooking fats. That's in addition to four other kinds of food categories such as seafood and meat for which registration was already required. With the deadline fast approaching, Taiwan firms are on edge. The Economics Ministry, the Health Ministry and the Council of Agriculture convened two sessions on Monday and Tuesday to help companies navigate the registration process. China's main consideration in implementing this system probably has to do with its domestic management of things. Of course, that also includes all these overseas firms that export their products to China. By requiring the companies to register, China can get a full grasp on the flow of cash and goods. Earlier this year, China banned imports of Taiwanese pineapples, sugar apples and wax apples. And now, tighter regulations are coming for other food products. Although the stricter controls are not just aimed at Taiwan, the move has raised concerns about whether China may scrap ECFA next. Experts say that terminating the agreement wouldn't work to China's advantage in any case, since Taiwan would then be free to place sanctions on Chinese goods, including agricultural products. On October 18th, a convoy of Chinese and Russian warships traversed Japan's Tsugaru Strait together for the first time, raising alerts in Japan. The strait runs through Japan's two biggest islands and is a mere 18 kilometers wide at its narrowest point. On Tuesday, a Bloomberg reporter asked China's foreign ministry to comment on the issue. He pointed out that both the Taiwan Strait and the Tsugaru Strait are legally international waters. Yet earlier this week, China had lambasted other countries over their transits of the Taiwan Strait. Let's hear how China's foreign ministry responded. The international community sees clearly who are flexing muscle, provoking and stirring up trouble, and who, under the disguise of freedom of navigation, are conducting military deterrence and undermining regional peace and stability. 
This kind of rhetoric by China's foreign ministry is a clear double standard that broadcasts to the world just how real the China threat theory is. This will only serve to unite the world's democracies. Experts pointed out Beijing's double standards regarding freedom of navigation. Earlier this week, China had criticized the U.S. and other countries for transiting the 130-kilometer-wide Taiwan Strait, saying it was a vile provocation and a threat to regional stability. As of Tuesday, more than 64 percent of Taiwan's population had received at least one shot of a COVID vaccine, and 23 percent had the full two-dose course. With vaccinations rapidly climbing, discussion has turned to when the CECC will lift all COVID-related measures in Taiwan, including border controls. Though no firm goal has been set, Former Vice President Chen Jianren, who's an epidemiologist, suggests Taiwan could follow other countries' examples and ease restrictions after 70 percent of the population is fully vaccinated. The latest round of vaccine bookings closed at midday on Wednesday. This 12th vaccination round will be offering three different vaccine brands to registrants. But securing an appointment on the system was no easy feat. That was especially the case in Taipei, where time slots at many locations filled up immediately after booking periods opened. Many people say they have had to schedule their shots outside of the district they live in. Borough wardens have heard it all and over again. Sometimes people come in and let out a string of choice words. Some people have been puzzled from the very beginning about the two steps required. They think it's a hassle. They already signed up for vaccines and now there aren't enough time slots. Everyone has to race to book a shot. Some people might feel like they are just second-class citizen. Like, what's up with all this rushing about? The borough warden says that for many workers, booking a shot far away is not an option. They say some are waiting for a fresh round of appointments to try their luck once again. Going to other districts to get a shot is, of course, somewhat inconvenient. But I think that, from a national perspective, boosting vaccine coverage as quick as possible as well as boosting people's willingness to get vaccinated are the things that we should be working on. The CECC wants more people inoculated. As of Tuesday, more than 15.06 million people in Taiwan had received at least one shot of a COVID vaccine for a nationwide coverage of 64.29 percent. In addition, more than 5.47 million second shots have gone in arms for two-dose coverage of 23 percent. Amid rising vaccination figures, speculation is now moving on to when the CECC will fully lift COVID restrictions. I think most countries have decided to ease restrictions after double-dose coverage got between 70 and 75 percent. In other countries, the COVID death rate fell from 2 percent to 0.05 percent. Former Vice President and Epidemiologist Chen Jianren pointed out what other countries had done. In response, Health Minister Chen Shizhong said lifting all restrictions when 70 percent of the population is fully vaccinated would be an optimistic prospect, adding that Taiwan had made plans to acquire booster shots. For the moment, it's looking like pandemic measures and border controls are here to stay for at least some time more. Fubong Financial Holdings confirmed on Wednesday that an imported COVID case reported yesterday was indeed their company's chairman, Richard Tsai. Speculation had been rife on Tuesday over the patient's identity as details released by the CECC matched the company's chairman. Fubang Financial Holdings says Tsai is currently in good condition in a specialized isolation ward and that the company's operations have been unaffected.
Good morning, everyone. I would like to thank you all for attending the shareholders meeting, even in the midst of a pandemic. Wearing a face shield and surrounded by politicians, this was Fubon Financial Holding Chairman Richard Tsai as he presided over a shareholders meeting in July. Tsai was confirmed on Wednesday to have contracted COVID. Reports say the chairman of a financial group was diagnosed COVID positive during quarantine after returning to Taiwan from the U.S. His age matches that of case 16448. Could you confirm this? If the information is not relevant to our contract tracing efforts, that would fall under the category of private information. We will not confirm or deny such reports. It is an important case, so it doesn't matter which company he runs or what his identity is. Reporters asked CECC officials about the imported case's identity, but the CECC refused to provide any details. The official CECC report says case number 16448 is a Taiwanese man in his 60s who had previously received two shots of AstraZeneca. He tested positive for COVID upon arriving in Taiwan from the U.S. on October 16th. His case is considered a breakthrough COVID infection, and he presented symptoms including a fever, muscle aches, and a sore throat. Five people on his flight to Taiwan were identified as contacts and placed in home isolation. The Fubon chairman was returning to Taiwan on the same date as the confirmed case, and his age and other data matched with the description, leading to much speculation about the person's identity in the reference case. Whether revealing or announcing this medical information, and whether that would have an impact on the company's operations, its reputation, or its relationship with shareholders, that is something for the company itself to assess. In the end, Fubon Financial Holdings itself made the announcement on Wednesday morning. The company confirmed that the subject of the imported case was indeed Chairman Tsai. The firm said he was currently getting treatment in a specialized isolation ward and was in good condition, adding that the company's operations have been unaffected. New Taipei Mayor Hou Youyi has promised to have new trains tested on the upcoming Ankeng light rail line in early 2022. The new rail line will improve transportation links from the Ankeng area of Xindian to the rest of the capital. Brand new trains can already be seen at a depot in Xindian, though they're not yet on the line. The line is scheduled to open fully in late 2022. Ankeng light rail is located entirely within Xindian's Ankeng area. The 7.5-kilometer line will cover nine stations in one train depot, linking on to the circular line of Taipei MRT at Shizuzang Station. New Taipei Mayor Hou Youyi was at the construction site to inspect progress. The Ankong light rail trains aim to be made in Taiwan where possible, he explained. 42% of the train has been made in Taiwan. For example, our air conditioning, train bodies, the lighting, seats, electricals and electric cables are all made in Taiwan. And the MIT ratio is 22% higher than that in the Danhai light rail. One train is made of five carriages, with a total of 62 seats, as well as standing room, making space for up to 265 passengers. The carriages feature low-set floors, making it easy to alight and disembark. And the sides of the carriages include large glass windows, so every passenger can enjoy the wonderful scenery out the window. These trains will first be tested on tracks in early 2022. The project is slated to be finished and the line opened by the end of next year. 
Early next year, we will introduce the first train to the public on the Ankung Line in a forward motion test, as well as testing it in motion and static. The train will be in a magnificent golden color, a most beautiful light rail train. The city's residents will be able to appreciate just how beautiful the Ankung light rail trains are. Once again, the line opens properly. It should improve transportation in the Ankung area of Xindian, reducing commuting times into other parts of Greater Taipei by 15 or 20 minutes. Officials hope it will be a boon for development in the area. Wednesday marked the opening day for this year's 2035 e-mobility Taiwan Expo with domestic car makers and component suppliers showing off their latest technologies. One of the showstoppers was an electric bus designed and made in Taiwan, featuring rapid charge technology and a long driving range. Eyeing the Japanese market, electric vehicles producers are also offering right-hand drive models. Let's go in for a closer look. Pioneering tech and aesthetics, the participants at this year's 2035 e-mobility Taiwan Expo are showing off their latest advancements. Take for example this EV bus. A charge-up from 10% to 90% takes just 15 minutes. It also has a striking appearance. Let me show you exactly what it looks like inside an electric bus. The whole bus is done up in wood tones and up above are custom-built video screens, setting it apart from the look of a traditional bus. They're good for long distance and all sorts of routes. And there's two models. One is a left-hand drive and the other has its steering wheel on the right for the Japanese market. The show is not just limited to electric buses. EV sedans and driverless tour buses are also a highlight of the expo. So on the front of city planning, many firms are focused on the design of the charging ports. They require additional space in parking lots, so that can be quite troublesome. We have rapid charges, a rapid charging method that makes charging up like filling up at a gas station. Also on display are motors, batteries and components from manufacturers showing off their most advanced technologies. Exhibitors stress that their products are DMIT, designed and made in Taiwan. Industry leaders hope that integrating electric buses with battery, motor and electric control systems and advanced driver assistance systems can take Taiwan's EV industry to the next level. Our motors have been in the race from the start. Delta Electronics, along with many other companies, have already entered EV supply chains, such as Tesla's supply chain. The government will see what technologies were still lacking and launch investment projects in those areas. The vice premier touted Taiwan's prowess in EV parts and components, saying that many Taiwan firms are suppliers for leading EV firm Tesla. The government's mobility and harmony platform is further pushing Taiwan firms to make inroads into the EV industry, which is already selling more than 2 million vehicles a year around the world. As many as 700,000 migrant workers live in Taiwan, the National Human Rights Museum has opened a free exhibit exploring what it's like for them in Taiwan. The museum showcases some of the many issues they face in the country and how they go about their daily lives. Let's take a look. Walking into the museum, images of infrastructure projects built by migrant workers are some of the first things to see. There are also goods produced by migrant workers. In this room, you can experience what life is like as a migrant fisherman. The exhibition aims to showcase the different roles played by migrant workers in Taiwan society. 
企图让观众或者说台湾的社会。We are trying to encourage viewers and in particular members of Taiwanese society to readjust the distance they place between themselves and migrant workers. In fact, what we put on, where we go, and the things we eat every day have connections to the labor of migrant workers. This room helps bring to light the living conditions and daily work routine of long-term care workers. Their entire exhibition is curated by 15 non-governmental organizations who advocate for the rights of migrant workers. We had in-depth discussions with NGO partners and then held some workshops. Our aim was for NGO partners who have been advocating or involved in actions for a long time to be able to relate these hard issues to the public in a way that is easier for them to take in and talk about. We use objects, stories, literature and food to turn the museum into another site for social action. Organizers hope the exhibit will impart better understanding and empathy to viewers for the issues and hardships faced by Taiwan's migrant workers. The exhibition will be held at the Dingmei White Terror Memorial Park through March 27, 2022. For most of the news, Stephanie Yang, Huang Yuchun in Taipei. Taiwanese mountain climbing sensation Grace Deng summited the world's third highest peak, Mount Kanchenjunga, on October 16. Her 8,586-meter climb marked several firsts. One of them is her is she is the first Taiwanese climber to make the summit. She's also the first woman to complete a winter ascent. Let's hear what she had to say. Of the five 8,000-meter ascents I've done up till now, I felt this one to be the most challenging. There were boulders several times my size, and for each I had only the strength of my arms to lift up my whole body. Add to that the thick and heavy clothing, and the level of difficulty was quite high. The timing of this climb is also on the cusp of winter, and so the temperature was even lower. Even though I slept in a tent, I woke up every day with my body covered in a thin layer of frost. The best part is that when I made the summit, the weather was glorious. No wind and no snow. The 28-year-old mountaineer has climbed more than 8,000-meter peaks than any Taiwanese woman. Previously, she had conquered the world's tallest mountain, Mount Everest, as well as the fourth, seventh, and eighth tallest peaks in the span of just two years. Now she has her sights set on being the youngest woman to summit all 14 of the world's 8,000ers. Taiwan's new professional basketball league is about to launch its second season. The Plus League, however, has still not finalized its league regulations. A mysterious atmosphere surrounds the exact rules of the league. Basketball pros are now working with legal experts at Shuzhou University to create a system fit for purpose. And they're using surprising tactics to hype up the big reveal. This is the official launch video for the Plus League Season 2. Basketball stars are off the court and blending into fans' daily lives in a series of humorous scenes. But to discover the league rules, long awaited by fans, you've got to get inside one of these mysterious black boxes. All the media attending the Plus League launch press conference on Monday all got a mysterious black box like this. You have to input the code to get a peek inside its secrets. The Plus League set reports as a riddle, though cracking the code wasn't too difficult. The code 124 was used. It's the date for the first match of the season on December 4th. 
Inside the box was an invite to a press conference to announce the league rules on October 25th at Suzhou University. This year, we're honored to participate in a true industry academia collaboration with the School of Law at Suzhou University. Professor Li Zifeng will lead his team and students in discussions and research, together with our league's legal team, to draw up a system of rules that is the best fit for a professional basketball league in Taiwan. On the eve of season two, a set of rules will emerge. The league has listened to the entreaties of thousands of fans. At a presser on October 18th, some regulations were revealed concerning the recognition and status of players, eligibility to play, and the rules of the tournament. More details will be put off to October 25th. I think the most valuable thing is that all the teams have different ideas and opinions, but we share a consensus which is that we will work hard to advance anything helpful for Taiwanese basketball or Taiwanese sport. Basketball fans eagerly await the second season beginning. They hope a full set of rules will help reduce gray areas and controversy so they can enjoy the game more fully.